Hello and welcome to Urban Flag, the podcast on how cities are developing local solutions to transnational challenges. I am your host, Lorenzo Kilgangrandi, and joining me today as a moderator, Cecilia Emma Sotilotta, Assistant Professor of International Relations and Global Politics at the American University of Rome. We start our podcast series by discussing the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on cities and the way cities are changing to face it. In fact, while cities are paying the saddest, highest toll in this pandemic in terms of victims, isolation, jobs and economy, they are also the place where resilience, solidarity and creativity are fueling a multiplicity of inspiring responses. To have a closer look on these dynamics, we have today the pleasure to welcome a panel of experts and practitioners directly involved in these topics. Ms. Aziza Ahmush, head of OECD's Division on Cities, Urban Policies and Sustainable Development. Pier Giorgio Olivetti, Secretary General of Cittaslo International. Piero Pelizzaro, Chief Resilience Officer at the City of Milan and Agis Tsouros, former Director of Policy and Governance at the World Health Organization and visiting professor at the Imperial College in London. Welcome to everybody and thank you for joining us today. Cecilia, the floor is yours. So I think I'm going to start uh, with um, Mr. Pelizzaro, uh, who's doing a great job in, in the city of Milan. So um, The city has been deeply affected by COVID-19. Um, Italy is a key country in this moment. Everybody's looking at Italy. Um, what Can you summarize the response of this municipality of Milan to the pandemic? What are you doing right now? Uh, first of all, thank you very much. And thank you for, for this opportunity. Well, it's, um, it's an intimate, when, when we speak about cities, we always have to contextualize uh, the competencies of each cities uh, in terms of emergency. To give the, the overview for, for Italy, uh, all the health emergency is in charge of the national government and the regional government. That is, uh, on the normal time, there's also the uh, governmental body in, in charge of managing the health system. So as a city, uh, we are uh, implementing the decision taken by the national government and the regional government. So we are following the protocol, the medical health protocol designed and defined by the national government and the regional government. But as a city, uh, we are in charge of the all social policies and all the uh, urban transport and all the, uh, let's say, services dedicated to person. So as a city, Uh, once we have adopted the, the restriction and we are supporting the national government, the regional government in monitoring that all the restrictions are in place, we have now setting different action, especially to person. Which kind of person? The most vulnerable person are for us the most important at the moment. Uh, starting from the low income population. So we are providing support uh, with food delivery. On the side, it's how we can uh, support people getting their food from the, even not the big supermarket, but even more with the local shop. So it's to reduce uh, the movement within the city. Uh, at the same time, uh, for the low income, we, are given, we have created a mutual aid fund. Uh, so we launched with the 3 million euro uh, investment by the city. And we are grateful for all the private and individuals that are now donating and give us support in the mutual aid fund uh, to support the low-income people, but also all the workers that are not included in the framework of the national support. Which kind? Well, let's think about freelance, about all the entertainment works, that is part of the, the life or the everyday life of the city in terms of events, in terms of tourism. So the mutual aid fund has the aim to support our social activities and social support activities on one hand, and on the other hand, to support the low income or the one that they are suffering economically. On the other hand, the city has also now uh, have opened, well, open, has taken in charge an hotel of 500 uh, people, so it's 500 rooms. The hotel is dedicated to people that are in quarantine, so to support the health system uh, to get uh, more free uh, spaces in the, in the hospital. But at the same time, we have launched a call two days ago uh, to uh, ask to 
the, the owner of Fletch that normally have been used for tourists or for, or for businessmen to make this available for all the emergency staff that are in front line. So how we can reduce their movement within the day uh, to support all the new uh, doctors and all uh, the health um, people, workers that comes from other regions to Milan to support the emergency in the Lombardy region. But as well, you always do consider there is a lot of people getting out from the hospital, from the quarantine. They cannot get back home because maybe they have their family in quarantine. So they have basically they are on the street. So we also try to look and match in this need with this. On the other end, one more other vulnerable population we are facing is the homeless, for example, or the drug, uh, drug addicted, that they are normally they are living on the street, not for decision or for decision. It's, it doesn't matter uh, for us at this stage. So we have taken a building, is a building normally was dedicated to public residential building, and we have increased the number of beds and room for homeless to keep them safer uh, in, a, in a closed place. Uh, on the other end, we have created seven different food hubs within the cities to deliver food. On the normal life, the city of Milan, as municipality, we deliver 70,000 meals every day to low-income people and to poopies. Altogether, almost 200,000 meals are delivered every day in the normal time. Uh, because of the closest of some of the building, we have to create a new food hub to deliver directly to the people the, the food that is uh, supporting the low and the vulnerable population. Uh, other action we have taken, it's, uh, it's also related to mobility so we, and, and the tax ex exemption. So on mobility, the city of Milan normally has a congestion charge, a pollution charge. Now it's now being closed. So it's... Uh, to all of the people to move for free. Uh, we, have, uh, we are not collecting the tickets from the parking, for example. That is uh, another important thing. And we have made also the priority line available for all the emergency uh, people in terms of humility to make it more, more faster. On the other end, we have a suspending the payment uh, for the fee for schools and for, for the canteen in the school for the family. And uh, as much as possible, we are closing, we are um, stopping or postponing. We also have uh, split it over the years, uh, the waste taxes that it's uh, in the city. So we are stopped for the moment the payment and we are more uh, splitting in, uh, in four times in, instead of two over, over, the, over the years. And so this is another important uh, support we are giving uh, to to the to the community, and 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 at the same time the city has uh, also has to organize itself. So uh, in three days uh, after the the first decree of the of the national government, we have moved more than four thousand uh, public workers, public servants in smart working. Uh, why? Because uh, we need to keep Milan going. And we need to guarantee all the services, even in a time of emergency. It seems something normal, but to have 4,000 public servants uh, in a country as Italy, where the digital divide is quite high, it's uh, a really huge challenge that my colleagues, they were capable to win. That's it. That is the first positive result. And we have now, uh, we are fully operational uh, on this. So thanks to this. And thanks to colleagues of the digital uh, department, we also move all our educational program from offline to online. So we are guaranteeing our educational program uh, that could keep going with some difference, maybe with the reduction in terms of program, but we are still keeping the educational program going. The one that is offered by the city of Milan. And I think it's another important thing because the other we were asking also to all the public entertainment organization, from museum to library uh, to video library, to make their uh, content available for free uh, for all of this, because we also need to support all the biggest part of the community that is not infected or contaminated by the virus, but is affected by the quarantine, and to try to make their uh, life home as much as possible uh, easier. Uh, that is more complicated. So that is uh, uh, part of what we have uh, done until until now. And I think it's um, what the other important things we have done as a, as a city, uh, I do believe is also that we are splitting free as organization. There is the my colleagues in the front line that say, 
after the medical and the doctor that I would like to thanks all the doctors around the country to support they are giving uh, to the community. Um, so they are the colleagues who work on the emergency. The other colleagues that is involved in supporting the community that is not impacted, as was mentioned, and a small part is a team is working on the recovery plan. So what comes next? and how we should design a recovery plan that maybe should be adaptive to the different situation, especially, as the mayor asked, to start looking at adaptive infrastructures for the phase two and then the phase three. So when we are we're not completely free to move, uh, but we have to, or we want to start going to work or to office and so on. So it's also how we rethink mm -hmm. the urban design. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Piero. Um, I think we will uh, go back to this uh, future city uh, after the uh, coronavirus at the end of this uh, discussion. But I would like to uh, ask you a question because there is an important debate on the use of technology to tackle the crisis and the impact of this technology in terms of privacy and freedoms. A lot of uh, different solutions have been uh, put in place. And I know that Milan is cooperating with other cities, has done that over the last uh, few years. Uh, in order to uh, define and design a sustainable participatory approach to smart city. How can this approach to smart technology help in such a crisis? Well, let me start from, uh, from one of the services we have delivered. We always as consider uh, smart cities as not a technological-driven city, smart cities. But we need to create before a smart community before to have a smart cities. And this work has been done during the last seven years, uh, starting from the deputy mayor, uh, Ms. Tajani, that she was, she's leading the Smart City Unit, uh, has been starting from the sharing and the collaborative approach. And all these kind of services that are based on platforms, so smart platforms for our sharing activities, is now one of the biggest resilient capabilities that is uh, being uh, showcased in the city in this emergency. So all this platform approach, in delivering services and collaborating and mutual uh, approach is making the difference uh, in terms of uh, of supporting the community in terms of emergency. So the smart city guidelines, the smart city activities and the sharing economy policies implemented by the city has now show pretty clear the benefit that could lead to the city, not only in a normal time, but also in a time of emergency. So that is uh, one of the first. In terms of the technological and, and the privacy issue, uh, well, it was pretty well stated by our uh, privacy guarantee office at the national level. Here, the matter is not how we use technology uh, for, for tracking or for support emergency, because that is an option that is possible. What is really important is to, is to define the rules that once the emergency is finished, all this tracking uh, uh, technology has to be closed and not become the everyday uh, practitioner uh, of, of the life. Because privacy has to be always at the core of our policies. So we can suspend it, but we need to set pretty clear how we close uh, this kind of technology once the emergency is finished. Otherwise, there is a high risk of uh, being, not being really supported. So in this framework, we are working with the startup and with all the ecosystem of the innovation in the cities to look how we can use technology to managing the emergency and to make it easier also uh, to get out from this situation. So uh, we are fully aware of the, the role of technology, but we also fully aware that we need to set really clear, which is the rules for respecting the privacy once the emergency is finished. Thank you very much. So we will keep an eye, of course, on the evolution of this topic. And you mentioned the uh, element of the cooperation between cities. And this is uh, something I would like to uh, exchange about with uh, uh, Agis Tsouros, as I said, former director of policy and governance at the World Health Organization. Uh, Agis, you uh, have led for almost three decades uh, a city diplomacy network called Healthy Cities, uh, which is at the service of health and well-being. Uh, can you present this initiative and tell us how it can contribute to the ongoing crisis? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lorenzo. Um, well, uh, I think the best starting point is to, to recognize something that uh, um, is vital in addressing this kind of crisis at the local level, 
that um, uh, cities, municipalities, local governments uh, have in general a huge role to play in, um, um, in health development, equity and sustainable development. And, and this uh, has been uh, reinforced by wealth of, uh, of evidence over the last uh, two or three decades uh, on the social determinants of health. So basically, cities have a huge potential uh, to contribute to the health and, and well-being of their citizens, not only through the health services, irrespective of who is responsible for those services, but mainly because they control uh, the, the, the policies and the activities of a wide range of sectors uh, uh, whose um, uh, impact can uh, make a difference in health and well-being. So uh, we don't discover the role of cities uh, only during a crisis like this. The role of cities in health is uh, tremendous because, uh, as I said before, uh, it is now well documented uh, how uh, cities, through their activities on the one hand and policies, but also through their proximity to communities, which is the other part. So the, the mayor, the city council, the local community, they have different kind of links. They have uh, different potentials to mobilize, to respond uh, to various threats, which uh, cannot be uh, activated by a national government, not even by a regional government. So this is the potential that one needs to use. And uh, the, the, the key issue when we deal with uh, healthy cities and any city that wishes to prioritize health and equity uh, is uh, to, to understand this issue and provide the necessary leadership. What are we dealing with here? We're dealing with uh, the notion of anticipation, that we need to be prepared. This is not a, a fire uh, brigade kind of response, because this kind of issues we will be facing uh, even more often in the future. I don't know if there will be other viruses, but if you think about climate change, the consequences of climate change demand today cities to be well prepared, not to wait to the last minute. So if you like, this is a prova generale, is a kind of dress rehearsal in many ways for a future to come where everybody has to be better prepared. The second issue is uncertainty. You have to manage uncertainty and uncertainty comes with a number of related issues, is the interconnectedness of this world. That's why we need platforms. That's why we need networks. That's why it pays off to be able rapidly to exchange mm -hmm. information and to be able to make uh, uh, decisions, political decisions, because health ultimately is a political choice. You see the wide divergence of responses of countries depending on who is the leader and how they perceive risks and opportunities. So, and Dr. Tsouros, may I interject because this what you're mentioning is so important. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us something about how you communicate risk, for instance, because we saw it's not just a matter of perceiving, it's also, well, for the leaders, as you were saying, but it's also a matter of how you communicate that to the wider public, right? So what kind of advice would you give to the, to the mayors, really, policymakers, like given your experience? Like, what would you say it's important in communication? Well, uh, coming to, to I, I, will, uh, I, I will elaborate uh, on, on this communication which aspect, which is very important. Uh, but I wanted to also mention the third dimension, which is the, mention, is the issue of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so it's the anticipation, it is dealing with uncertainty, and it is vulnerability. I hear everybody talking about vulnerable groups, mm -hmm. but even the definition of vulnerable groups is a very, very tricky issue. How do we perceive 
vulnerability. Potentially, we are all vulnerable. We are vulnerable as individuals, as sons and brothers and grandsons in, in societies that have uh, a wide range of inequalities. Let us not forget that uh, this could be a crisis in a crisis for the worse off. Who pays the biggest price, the heaviest price of any crisis? the most vulnerable. What do we do? How do we think about the issue of inequalities in our cities, in our communities? Because by the end of the day, this is where the game is going to be played. This is where we are going to see uh, that, and hopefully, if uh, honest people will be gathering the, the, the information and the data from this crisis, it will be shown that those who were paying the highest toll of all these crises are indeed the, the worst off. To come back to the perception of risk, it's, it's a perception of risk, uh, not only my risk, but it is a perception of a collective risk. It's a perception of understanding, and which has been a big problem in many parts of Europe. I am an individual and we talk about individual responsibility. So I may say, oh, well, I am young. Even if I catch it, I don't stand the chance to... I, my chances of dying are very small. Fine. Second question. Oh, I am young and also I don't have vulnerable grandparents and others. So this makes me even more uh, compliant with, because I don't risk. Uh, I don't feel... I am putting anybody in danger in my close environment, so I become reckless. So, and this means that you see so many people circulating because a huge percentage of the spread of the virus is from people who carry the virus with mild symptoms, who don't take precautions, and so on and so forth. Communication uh, is, uh, is always in crisis a, a very tricky business. You need two things. You need to be honest with facts, but at the same time, you need to have empathy. Uh, you need to, 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 to be able to connect with the population uh, in a way which uh, makes you at least feel reassured that, that what is being done is based on careful thinking, weighing, always uh, the pros and cons of various approaches uh, and, and, uh, and giving a kind of sense of consistency to the population. And, and I know countries that have uh, 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 been able to do this, communicating consistently to their populations and thus reducing the level of anxiety. Because, and I would like to, to I have so much to, to, to share with you, but I would like to say uh, one thing, uh, which is increasingly becoming more important, mental health. Mm. Mental health, because uh, you can see even from our own behavior, how jollier we may have been in the first weeks of the confinement, and how increasingly as time passes, uh, our mood, our general way of being at home in relation to uh, the social media, to our friends and relatives changes, because stress in its various shapes and forms is taking over. And, and this crisis uh, is, is a crisis uh, that will be with us for quite some time. I don't mean when we are going to be able to leave our homes. So in conclusion, I would like to say that it's tremendously important today what creatively local communities can do, mobilizing all that energy, all that resilience to be able to cope, to respond, and which I think in the end is going to make all the big difference. Hmm. In, in, in dealing with a crisis. Thank you so much, Dr. Tsouros. This is so interesting. You touched upon so many important points. 
So uh, now I would like to turn to uh, Mrs. Akmuch because uh, the OECD has uh, just published a policy note uh, on how cities are responding to the virus. And I think uh, perhaps you have something to probably to, to tell us about what do you see, you know, from the macro perspective. Okay, so it's so interesting to have you all here because we can really go from the micro to the macro response. So uh, I'd really like to hear from, uh, from you at this point. Thank you very much, Cecilia and uh, Lorenzo, for the invitation. Very happy to be here. So we have indeed uh, been paying uh, close attention to what cities are doing in response for a number of reasons. The first one is, uh, and it was said by the previous speaker, um, local governments hold competencies in a wide range of public policies that make them actually critically part of the solution to this crisis, but they're also a scale at which the proximity to citizens uh, makes it, you know, uh, a powerful vehicle to ensure not only the implementation of nationwide measures, but also uh, the design of, of innovative bottom-up types of solutions. And on the one hand, uh, someone could think that cities were most people work and live. I mean, half of the world population, 70% by 2050, are better equipped to deal with the crisis because of their uh, sophisticated, advanced healthcare facilities. Uh, but on the other hand, the density makes crisis also hotspots for spreading the virus due to the proximity and, uh, and the difficulty actually to implement uh, social distancing and, and confinement at large. And so this role uh, makes them critical parts of, of the solution. So what we've done basically is to look around the globe uh, uh, with our Champion Mayors Initiative for Inclusive Growth, what cities are doing concretely. We have mapped over uh, 60 uh, cities uh, responses that you can find in this note in the OECD COVID platform. And what we see is that we can cluster somehow those initiatives around six categories. There are a number of measures that have to do with confinement and social distancing. Uh, and, and we had a few examples from uh, Piero uh, earlier. There are a number of measures that have to do with communication and awareness raising, where we see mayors in person uh, putting themselves, you know, at the center of the communication to reassure their citizens. And also because there's a much higher proportion of citizens that have trust in their local governments than they do in their national governments. And so that may makes a lot of, of sense. There are measures that have to do with the continuity of local public services, making sure that we can continue to supply drinking water, that we can continue to collect waste, that we take some uh, measures uh, that uh, do not put in jeopardy the access to these services of the groups that can no longer afford paying or the, the, even the local enterprises that can no longer afford paying. There are a number of measures that have to do with workforce and commuting patterns. Um, whatever is done in uh, public transportation, uh, some cities that have led by examples asking their municipal staff to actually telework before national measures required uh, to do so. Um, there are a number of measures, finally, that have to do uh, with supporting uh, business recovery, uh, SMEs that we know are the, the hardest hit, you know, by, by this crisis, but also uh, uh, the, the critical, uh, I would say, uh, uh, drivers for growth at the very uh, local level. And finally, a point that was said earlier, a series of measures that relate to inequality, because I, I do agree that the uh, uh, huge risk of this crisis is more medium and long term in terms of uh, exacerbating somehow some of these divides. Um, and so those are very handy examples, and I really invite you to go and look at them now. Uh, to wrap up a few overarching messages that come of that, uh, out of that mapping. The first one is that cities have different capacities to cope with the crisis, sometimes even within countries. Regional mm -hmm. disparities are so high, sometimes within countries, higher than across OECD countries. They depend on the level of decentralization of some services. Health indeed remains mostly a national prerogative in, in most of the OECD countries. They depend on the fiscal capacity of the city, on the infrastructure that is in place, on the facilities, etc. So you have uneven capacity to respond, sometimes within the same country. The second one is that uh, 
whatever uh, the measure and the area, most of this is actually a shared responsibility. We will get out of this crisis only if there is a coordinated multi-level response across levels of government, but also in a shared responsibility with the public, private and not-for-profit sectors. The third finding that is interesting is that technology indeed is playing a very interesting role uh, in, in this setting. And we see a proliferation of online uh, websites, portals, maps, uh, 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 digital tools, applications uh, that are, uh, you know, put at the service of uh, well-being. And, and, and that's a very important development as long as privacy is actually secured. And that's the discussion we had earlier. And the, the, the last point is related to inequality. I think um, uh, it's very important to keep in mind that the inequality uh, and the vulnerability is indeed not only socioeconomic. Of course, there are uh, going to be uh, uh, more inequality for some uh, specific categories, and we see a lot done by cities in terms of food banks, in terms of uh, uh, using infrastructure for homeless people, for migrants. That is very important. But this inequality is also going to be intergenerational. Uh, demographic, and we see what is happening with the elderly and, and the special treatment that they uh, require and need uh, to cope with the crisis. It's also going to be territorial. You don't leave the confinement and the lockdown in the same way if you are in urban or rural settings, the access to amenities and other facilities varies. And it's also going to be digital. Not everybody can telework. Not everybody has access to the technology that can uh, uh, make the transition smooth. So we really need to have a, a broad approach to inequality and to look at these different divides uh, and, and to have very place-based solutions to them. Thank you very much, Ms. Ahmoush. Uh, I'm really interested in this uh, uh, report. I think it will uh, further uh, develop this connection between cities, this exchange of best practices that are already happening. Um, uh, you also mentioned the uh, need for cooperation, multilateral cooperation between the partners. Uh, now, unfortunately, many countries have decided to adopt unilateral measures, such as blocking the borders in order to better manage the uh, crisis. So uh, many calls for transnational solidarity have unfortunately gone unanswered at the same time. Uh, do you believe this crisis uh, and the responses taken by these national governments are putting multilateralism at risk? I mean, it should not. Uh, being from an organization, the OECD, that is uh, primary, uh, primarily seeking to support multilateral solutions to common problems, it should not. And it should not for a number of reasons. The first one is that we are clearly at war. Uh, and never has actually multilateralism been so important to find a collective solution to the crisis. Because the crisis, and that's the second uh, part of the response, is not only sanitary. The crisis is going to be economic, it's going mm -hmm. to be social, it's going to be environmental. This is actually the third biggest shock of the uh, 21st century after uh, the 9-11 and the 2008 global economic uh, and financial crisis. The consequences are going to be huge. I mean, from the OECD, we estimate that every month of confinement is a loss of two percentage points in annual GDP. If the confinement lasts three months with no offsetting measure, the loss in terms of GDP can be uh, up to minus four to six percentage points. You have a halt in production. You have a consumption that is going down. You have critical sectors of the economy, such as tourism, for example, almost 5% of uh, GDP that is going to drop the international tourism economy by 70%. Uh, SMEs are going to be uh, the hardest hit, not only because of the drop in demand and revenues, but also because the dis of the disruptions in the supply chain. And this economic, social, and financial crisis means that more than ever, we should leverage multilateralism to have common solutions, to make sure that the economy does not collapse, to make sure that there is no return to normal with the business as usual measures, and we'll, we'll come back to that, and to make sure that basically we are injecting um, the needed uh, economic me measures, fiscal measures that will uh, foster the recovery. So I hope that this will be uh, more 
uh, an opportunity to never waste a good crisis to upscale the profile of, 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 of the multilateral response because we are at war. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Armouche. I am sure that cities will be able to provide their contribution in uh, sort of blocking this trend towards uh, isolation and going towards multilateralism, uh, given the fact that throughout the last uh, decades, cities have been multiplying the opportunities to cooperate uh, city to city across borders. Uh, I would like now to suggest Uh, we move to uh, the last part of our discussion. Uh, the last part is devoted to the city of the future, to the aftermath of the crisis. And I would like to uh, address my first question to uh, Mr. Pelizzaro. We all know, you have described this uh, before, that city, uh, the city of Milan is really experiencing a hard time uh, these days. Uh, and I would like to ask you if this uh, uh, rethinking of the city, if all these initiatives that are put in place in order to cope with the uh, such an intense moment of difficulty for the city is in fact creating an opportunity to shape a new Milan, a Milan of the future that will be able to represent a model, an example for other cities. Um, I, I, I cannot... I... We, we are not aiming to be an example. What we aim at the moment is to find the proper answer to the community, uh, because I think it's the most challenging. Uh, we never face such crises. I think it's also different from the experience we had uh, uh, from an earthquake or a flash flooding, or even from the other, like the Second World War. It's, it's an impact that it's, uh, have a lot of cascade effect that it's even not easy to track in terms of economically and, and social. So uh, there is, uh, among cities and the city governments uh, around Europe uh, and the global scale, there is a lot of conversation ongoing uh, among cities to understand first how we should make an assessment to, to start, uh, then to design the plan. Because you need to understand where we are before to define the proper action, because uh, It'd be challenging that uh, the resources will be available has to be spent as much as possible in the best way. Uh, it's quite, um, there is a common ground among the cities that uh, uh, environmental transition, decarbonization, uh, social justice, equity should be uh, the three main pillars uh, of, of, the, of the recovery plan. Because it's pretty clear that we cannot go back to the same business, business as usual models, because that is also part of the of the virus uh, creation and the virus problem. So we need to rethink our way to, to live, and we need to put uh, climate change, environmental decarbonization, not as a an health environmental issue, but here is the the time to showcase how uh, all the energy efficiency, renewable energy, are creating jobs. Uh, have uh, work intensive, uh, they can create opportunity uh, for all, uh, maybe also the young profile and the young professional that was one of the most highly exposed to unemployment since uh, the 2008. So it also could be the, the first part of the population that could go back to work uh, because they have, they have more um, resistance to virus. Mm. So uh, what we are now uh, thinking, it's, so it's these three main pillars, but as the mayor asked, what I, I mentioned before, the adaptive infrastructures is essential. What does it mean? H how we should walk, uh, how we should biking, how we should use the public transport uh, during the phase two and the phase three is the main challenge because we cannot go back to cars as individuals in this because uh, that's not the, the, the approach. And so even rethinking the, the urban design of a public space and the public transport is a big opportunity that we need to take on since the beginning. It's a matter of investment and it's also a matter of stability. What this crisis has shown that there is not enough public space for the entire population uh, during a crisis because we don't have enough space within the street to work with uh, the proper distance. That's my personal point of view, let me say, but there is one thing that's pretty clear. Cars are a reason of uh, pollution, but cars are also the reason of occupy public space. And during these days, it's pretty clear that cars are more obstacles and more barriers than a support uh, for the population. So maybe we should be rethinking uh, this approach. 
On the other end, what is really important and is also we uh, create uh, economical uh, opportunity and the job opportunity uh, for all of these people. And there is something that I think it's important we need to think. There is a lot of people at the moment are home, maybe without a job, are unemployed, but there is how there the university, the research center, the educational uh, center are offering a lot of new training, training courses. So it's also the time that we can take the opportunity to the one that has the opportunity to get access to internet, because that is another topic, I think, for the recovery, is that uh, use this time to start or also rethinking the job profile will be necessary after on. So it's a time to update, it's a time to training itself. But there is also another conversation, uh, the role of internet. In this crisis, internet and all. That is essential that internet should be uh, as much as possible open and free for the population. Because in a time when it is a normal time, you have to pay. But in a time of crisis, when a lot of population doesn't have access to internet, and internet gives the information, gives the opportunity, gives the training, we should start thinking that if internet could be considered or has to be considered a public good, because then comes pretty clear an open question we should uh, have for the recovery plan, because that is dealing for the recovery and to manage the emergency. So this is another, I think, another topics we should take it in terms of uh, economical opportunity uh, for thinking. So I think it's uh, here the time to be more concrete. So in terms of uh, job creation, energy efficiency, building retrofit, uh, infrastructures, adaptive, so we can work on more sustainable infrastructures that it's uh, job intensive, is a time to uh, capitalize the work investing on the digitalization, digital manufacturing comes pretty clear. There is a big opportunity there. We have seen uh, Fab Lab uh, um, makers go into hospital, sit, around, sit close to the doctor and start printing the missing medical equipment. So we have seen how digital manufacturing and the digital industry could also be the front runner in terms of a crisis. Mm -hmm. So that is a pretty clear, this is another big opportunity. And the one have invested in the startup uh, ecosystem and the one has creating the link between the research, the university the knowledge and the market has the one that have a big opportunity there to start with thinking. So Thank you. Yeah. I think that's it's, uh, part of, of the thinking where we are. If you ask me if we have a recovery plan, no, we don't have at the moment because it's, 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 uh, it's a big challenge. Really? It's something really big, but we are working uh, hard to and speaking with all the community to understand what is the next step. Thank you so much for this. I think um, one of the main takeaways of what you said, but also what the other speakers said before, is that we will need to rethink so many things. Um, you know, when the probably when the worst part of the crisis is over, right? So we we need to really prepare for a new future. And turning to, again, to Dr. Tsuros um, uh, on, okay, futures, perspe futures perspectives. I have a question for you, and it, it is, um, so we will now need to change something. Uh, how will uh, city networks, in your opinion, adapt to this new challenge? Because it's clear that we cannot maintain uh, previous standards, right? So what do you think will change? after the, the pandemic is over? In terms of city network? Uh, yes, no, yeah, this is actually, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a, this is a question I was, I was asking to, to Dr. Tsuros. Yeah. So to, to follow up on what... But go ahead, uh, please, if you but would like... But if ideas... <laughs> no, I, just, I didn't get, but it was like a short comment. Please, like, yeah. but I, just, I, just, I think city network, uh, the one that were really connected that was really working uh, playing an important role here uh, because uh, it's sharing the practice but also have a, an important role after all is to pull the demand for change. Mm -hmm. Cities are at the core of the emergency because the one is more effective somehow because it's where all these things happen. Mm -hmm. But the city has is also the biggest uh, um, they say tender uh, is the one that is investing more money in a city. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, if the city decides to go on a common ground uh, in the future, I think we can then really try to make also the changing at the regional and the national government. And I'm totally agree that 
what is necessary, and then I'm shut up, I'm sorry to take over this answer, is that we need to improve our predictive uh, modeling approach mm -hmm. that is still not, because let me say this emergency should be predict, but was not thinkable. And when you are predicting modeling, you, you as an authorities, you always have to think if you want to include the worst case scenario. Yeah. Like a swan. Mm -hmm. But uh, if this is, could be uh, was predictable in terms of modeling, I think yes. In terms of uh, if it was thinkable or even someone was living, even not in Hollywood, when they were thinking or something about that. Mm -hmm. If you look at all the pandemic movie around, no one is getting to this point. Even not even our imagination to get to this point. Thank you so much. So maybe we can have Dr. Tsuros now to react. Okay. Uh, well, um, first, uh, uh, let me uh, share with you something um, uh, which made me uh, rethink uh, this issue of preparedness. As you probably know, uh, the WHO uh, for some time now has issued the international health regulations and uh, a number of crises with other viruses, SARS, MERS, and so on, uh, influenza, um, have provided the opportunity to countries to adapt to their systems to be able to respond. But I, w I wanted to... to uh, and, and this has not happened uh, in many countries to the extent that it should. Uh, but uh, I want to give you, uh, uh, to, to start with a very concrete example. In 2003 and four, I was seconded by the World Health Organization to my country, Greece, and I was in the core of, uh, of the, I was responsible for coordination of the preparedness for all aspects of potential threats to the Olympics. The Summer Olympics in Athens were the first after uh, September 11th. So, the, as you can imagine, the potential of, a, of bioterrorism and the threat was really very much in the air. What I learned from that exercise was that there was a huge attention and money put, I mean, we're talking more than a billion that had been invested to prepare at all levels in case there was a terrorist attack or other kinds of attacks. And the scenario were horrific. But the lesson learned from that was that, yes, we had the preparedness. Everybody knew what they should do at all levels. There had been exercises and drills of all kinds. All the equipment was there, signed hospitals, the people and so on. It was like a movie, but it was there. And of course, nothing happened, but the, the as we know, we had to deal with minor issues. But what I learned from that is that it very well which we were aiming. There was all this money invested, all this preparedness, and in the end we knew that those three, four weeks in August, we had to be able to cope with any kind of scenario. Here, you, have, you don't have that particular date. You have to have a system which is ready to respond at any time even to deal with invisible threats like the coronavirus. The other part is that we don't realize, I agree with very much with the OECD colleague, that this is a multi-level issue, uh, this is a strategic issue, this is an issue of great investment. And uh, I, I think that in the future, when definitely it cannot be business as usual, we should begin to regard our defenses for this kind of events similar to the way we invest in our armed forces. That the, the idea of defense is not only defense from 
a military threat. It is a defense from, from such kind of, uh, of uh, threats that can wreck totally, not only our economies and our societies, but the global economies. A good part of this uh, business in, in thinking about the future is that it will reinforce the sustainable development agenda, which for some people is something uh, which is still in the realm of the aspirational, but not something that we need to be doing something about urgently. I feel that health should become more explicitly high on the agenda of governments, uh, even even, uh, as a performance priority for governments. This is no longer uh, just one issue among other issues. It has proven how important it is. And uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the whole issue that we have reached, uh, as I said before, together with this threat, we have reached a point of understanding that we are at a critical point. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Tsouros. Uh, you have uh, talked about uh, sustainability, and this is a topic uh, uh, the OECD is working on, in particular on its uh, urban dimension. Um, uh, so, um, Mr. Khmouch, I would like to ask you, uh, how will uh, COVID-19, according to you, impact the social, economic, and environmental development of cities? Will post-coronavirus cities w- be more sustainable? Thank you. I mean, I, I, I gave earlier a few of the macroeconomic projections that we're uh, anticipating from the OECD in terms of the impact on the annual GDP of confinement and uh, and all the halt in production and the reduction in consumption. And of course, uh, cities, uh, uh, large secondary cities being the powerhouse of the economy worldwide will uh, be facing a lot of these uh, consequences uh, in, a, in a very local fashion. Um, well, there are a few messages related to sustainability. The first one is when we look at the, at the 60 plus examples that we've collected in terms of what cities are doing in response to COVID-19, most of them, if not all of them, are short-term crisis management measures. And that's normal. I mean, cities have to deal with the emergency that is happening now. And most of these measures are very time-bound, specific, and uh, dealing with managing the crisis more than managing the recovery and, uh, and the risk. And Therefore, what uh, Piero from Milan is saying in a very humble way that we don't have a recovery plan yet. I mean, most cities don't have a recovery plan and that's the reality. Having said that, I think there's also a bit of an increasing awareness that we've reached a tipping point and that regardless of how the deconfinement will happen, there should be no return to normal. And when I say no return to normal, it's no return to normal in terms of how we think or consumption and production patterns, in terms of how we think uh, productivity, in terms of how we think inclusiveness, in terms of how we think and deal with the environmental externalities of all this. There are 7 million people that are dying from air pollution every year. I mean, those are happening in urban settings. They're generating health issues, asthma, and so on. They're even more vulnerable to the uh, virus today than maybe other uh, groups or communities. And so the bottom line is, is there a solution? And, and, and cities are, to me, both part of the problem, but also part of the solution when it comes to these uh, environmental and health issues. They consume, of course, most of the energy. They produce most of the solid uh, waste. They emit most of the greenhouse gas emissions, but they're also responsible, at least in OECD countries, of the largest share of public investment. Most of this is going to climate and environmental uh, related areas, and therefore they're at the very center of uh, the thinking on resilience. And I'll, I'll conclude maybe with two two things related to global agendas, uh, building on what Aegis was saying, which I I find very interesting. One on the SDGs and one on the circular economy. On on the SDGs, I think um, it's pretty clear now for many of us that uh, a good chunk of those targets are not going to be met without local and regional governments. We've estimated at the OECD over 65% of the 169 targets are not going to be met. In different areas, if you take SDG 5 on gender, 
only 5% of mayors worldwide today are women. How can you drive an inclusion agenda, think about gender-sensitive urban design and so on, if the leadership is still not uh, diverse? Um, if you look at all the goals, I mean, 80% uh, of the regions in the OECD economies, we're talking about the advanced economies worldwide, are far from reaching the goal by 2030 and have to travel still more than 50% uh, to get there. We've been measuring the distance of cities and regions to each of these 17 goals, and I can tell you the picture uh, is no longer that of rich countries are pretty fine and it's up to poor countries to catch up. There is a huge, huge, huge backlog uh, in developed advanced economies that needs to be dealt with. And so that means for the SDGs that we need to shift the mindset from a UN monitoring, reporting, high-level agenda that binds only national governments into one that is an opportunity for cities to rethink completely from the ground up how they allocate budget, how they prioritize investment, how they plan, how they sequence uh, their policies and how they target their communities. And if they don't use the tool to do that, it's not that a mayor wakes up in the morning saying, I'm going to implement the SDGs. The mayor wakes up in the morning saying, I want people to have uh, housing, to have transport, to deal with uh, other pressing issues. And these provide a common language to do it. To conclude on the circular economy, we also see very interesting experiences. We have just published three big uh, reports in Umea in Sweden, in Groningen in the Netherlands, um, in Valladolid in Spain, we're working with Granada in Spain, we're working with Ireland, Glasgow, where we see really a local shift from linear to circular economy, where we don't consider waste as an issue that has to be managed ex post, but we shift completely the production, consumption, and engagement patterns to a to make waste a resource and to minimize the environmental externalities, but also think the future of work and the social implications of all that. So I, I have a bit of a, I mean, again, I think we shouldn't waste a good crisis. I think uh, it's important that local governments do their share, that they understand that they won't fix the problem on their own. They need to work with national, supranational and international organizations. But there is, I think, a tipping point that, that makes the transition, I think, more likely after such a crisis than before, where many of us uh, were probably seeing still climate as a, as a more mid to long term issue to fix. Thank you very much, Ms. Akhmush. I think you uh, uh, have said us basically that there is a lot of work to do for municipalities. Uh, when the crisis will be hand, there will be no time for rest. And of course, they will be able to count on the participation and the support of all the energies of the community that uh, we have seen are particularly generous at uh, these times. Uh, and on that point, I would like to uh, welcome uh, Mr. Olivetti. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, um, so, Mr. Olivetti, uh, I introduced you before. You are the uh, Secretary General of Chitos Law International. And throughout uh, our discussion, we have uh, talked uh, a lot about uh, solidarity. So solidarity really uh, stands out as an, an element that can support uh, different communities in this crisis. And uh, uh, from your point of view, uh, from the point of view of Chita's law, um, if we have a look at, uh, at your uh, social media accounts, there are, there are a lot of expressions of solidarity within uh, your network. So can you give, your, uh, can you give us uh, your point of view on the impact this solidarity is having uh, on the urban scene? Yeah. Thank you for invitation. Good morning to you all. Sorry for the late, but I I were uh, I was uh, committed for uh, customs uh, to solve the problem of customs to import uh, some medical equipments for our Chitoslo towns. About uh, your question, uh, but it is our the value of the network. You told I heard uh, about the network of uh, towns or city networks. Yes, we are an actor from 20 years, and I take uh, in the debating, the, in the discussion, uh, the point of view and the voice of the little or small towns, little villages, 
and also quarters of big cities because we are joining also part of big cities. It is impossible to be slow. Big cities cannot be slow. But the solidarity in the small towns, probably it's easier than in the big cities. This is the first. The second is the mayors. Mayors, the political decisors in the small towns are more close and close to the people. And so very often they are quite uh, in the crisis moment, in the difficulties moment, a uh, front desk of uh, people to solve every kind of uh, matters of uh, problems of troubles. And so uh, it is exactly in the moment of crisis uh, that uh, in the current days that the virus, but uh, the virus is a crisis uh, uh, announced announced because uh, it's not a news, very announced disaster in our point of view. But uh, there are many, many uh, examples of uh, um, solidarity in the networks uh, between uh, towns and Chitaslo members in different countries, but also at national le level in the, each country the different Chitas law are cooperating to solve many kind of problems for, uh, uh, of course, uh, the first is uh, to help the people, but also to, for uh, capacity building for administration, uh, uh, to share some solutions is so interesting. Uh, for example, we are at the moment 208 in 30 countries. And uh, we are active, active network uh, every day. And one uh, example, uh, very practical, uh, we have coordinated a collective uh, um, purchase in China of over 27,000 masks, masks uh, for France, uh, Italy and Poland. And uh, we have uh, also uh, other uh, kind of uh, examples of uh, solidarity internal in Germany, in the network uh, from Deichtenheim, Ludinghausen and so others, but also in Netherlands, many, many active in Turkey, in Korea. Korea, it's a, a South Korea is a special uh, different uh, matter because the government policies are very strong from top down, uh, very different in the European countries. But there are also transnational uh, cooperation because, uh, uh, for example, China gave, uh, uh, to, uh, despite China uh, uh, was uh, also uh, uh, one of the first suffering uh, country for the virus, for the COVID-19, they donated 10,000 masks to the international network for the first municipalities affected in Italy, but also other 60,000 to Lidbarz, Cittaslo in Poland. It is, it is a practical and very concrete example of solidarity in the network. Other matter is the uh, solidarity into one community like Cittaslo, in each Cittaslo town. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Olivetti. Unfortunately, we are almost up with our time for today, and I would like to try and uh, draw some conclusion. Uh, these conclusions are, of course, uh, very preliminary because uh, we don't have any miracle solution that has been implemented in any city. Even though we have discussed today many inspiring uh, activities that show the commitment, that show the dynamism of cities in coping with the crisis. So, um, if I can draw two elements that I will bring with me after this uh, uh, discussion, probably uh, I see two strengths of cities uh, that uh, will give them the possibility to uh, fight uh, in a good position against the virus. Uh, the first one is uh, the nature itself of the city, so an institution which is the closest possible to the citizens. And uh, this uh, uh, proximity with the citizen, it's a tool for uh, the city to 
uh, interact and harness the energies of citizens. So there is a lot of creativity, there is a lot of energy and willingness to cooperate and find a common solution. So this gives the cities a really advantage compared to other levels of government in tackling this crisis. And the second element is something that has emerged more recently, and is this last element that Mr. Olivetti was mentioning, this cooperation and solidarity between cities. So this doesn't only mean that uh, cities are uh, improving the uh, international arena with their uh, friendly relationship, but it means, in fact, that the different energies coming uh, uh, from different uh, cities throughout the world can be put in a network. They can cooperate and they can exchange in order to find together as a joint effort and a very powerful sort of uh, common intelligence uh, this uh, solutions in order to reimagine a city of the future. So thank you very much to everybody and I will now leave the floor to uh, Cecilia for thanking everyone of our uh, speaker. Piero Pelizzaro, Agis Tsuros, Aziza Akhmush, uh, Pier Giorgio Olivetti, thank you so much for being with us today. I think it was a great discussion and thank you for um, what all you're doing, really, these, these complicated days. So thank you for taking the time, really, uh, from your busy days to be with us. Thank you, thank you very you. much. Thank you, thank for the you very invitation. much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Urban Flag podcast. This episode was produced by me, Lorenzo Kilgengrandi. Special thanks to Dr. Stefano Marta, Ms. Kate Brooks, and Mr. Marco Tata. <laughs>